A door is a simple concept. We have one here on the stage this morning. It's a point of access. It's a wall of protection. It's a place that defines what's inside and outside. In many ways, I I think we've uh, lost the art of doors. Uh, And here's what I mean. When Mary and I, uh, five years ago, we uh, boarded a plane and we went across the ocean to live in Scotland for a year. And one of the things, we were the classic tourists, wanted to see all the sights, but one of the things that captivated us in Scotland uh, was the doors. Here's little baby Peter and Mary. Uh, This was actually the door of our flat that we lived in there in Edinburgh. And uh, this was the first day we arrived and we were excited and getting, we were excited that we had a red door. And so uh, we went around Edinburgh, and it was our mission to take pictures with all the red doors in Edinburgh. And so uh, here's, I I think that might be number five. She's holding up a five there. Uh, We were... we loved the doors. They, they were some, some of them were ornate, many of them colorful, and uh, you could call us uh, door tourists because we went around town just uh, taking pictures with doors. And, uh, and so we, I mean, look at this. It, that's cool, right? It, it, these doors were cool, but uh, we, we would dream about what might be on the other side of that door in the 1600s when it was built and what happened in that home. But uh, we were merely tourists, and so we didn't have keys to the doors. We didn't have the rights to open them. We just uh, took pictures with them. And as humorous as it is, as I think about the fact that we were door tourists, uh, I think that as we turn to the Gospel of John this morning, that many of us in the Christian life are door tourists. We admire the door. We take pictures with the door. We imagine stories about what happens behind that door. But the invitation of the Gospel of John and the invitation of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 9, is I am the door. If anyone enters by me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. This is the third of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, revealing to us who he is. And as we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, these statements are are more than simple metaphors to describe what Jesus is like. Jesus is using the very grammar of the Old Testament that God used to reveal who he is. And so Jesus isn't just telling us that he is simply a point of access. He is telling us that he is God. That Jesus is God divine. And so all throughout John's gospel, we have this message of of who is this man Jesus? And what you see in the gospel narrative, I've been reading through this this gospel as a whole, and what you see time and time again, chapter after chapter, uh, Jesus performs signs, he reveals who he is, and there is division. And this is, this is inevitably who Jesus is. He is inevitably, when he proclaims who he is, I am the door, 
it creates a point of division because either you are inside or you are outside. And Jesus is really, uh, all throughout the Gospel of John, declaring a message of exclusivity. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. There is exclusively one door. In John chapter 14, we're going to look at it in a couple of weeks, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except exclusively through me. We live in a day and age that is pluralistic, that that likes to tolerate, you have your door, I'll have my door, and Jesus proclaims an exclusive message that there is one door. There is one path to life. To many of our modern ears, this sounds intolerant. It sounds... uh, It sounds like Jesus is saying there's only one way to God. There's only one kind of person who will enter heaven, and that is the person who enters through Jesus. And that is exactly what John wants us to get, because he says at the end of John's gospel, he says in chapter 20 that I have written all of these things. And he says in the next chapter, I, I could, if, the book, if, if I recorded all that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough space on earth to record all of that Jesus did. But he said, I've recorded these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so it's my hope this morning that we won't just do some door tourism. That we won't look at this passage and just say, wow, Jesus is a really nice door. But that we would receive his invitation to enter and experience what that really means for you and me. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to John chapter 10. Uh, We're going to focus in this morning on verses uh, 7 through 10. John chapter 10 is kind of a unique chapter in John's gospel because it combines two of Jesus' I am statements. Immediately after verse uh, 10, in in verse 11, Jesus uh, says, I am the good shepherd. And he is going to uh, expound deeper, and uh, all throughout this passage, he's kind of expounding what it means that he's the good shepherd. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. But uh, this morning, we're going to focus in on verses 7 through 10 as we consider, uh, what does it mean that Jesus is the door? And not just in like this touristy kind of uh, observing kind of way, but in, in, in my personal life, if Jesus is the door, and I really accept and believe that, what does that mean for me and how I access it and how I live? And so let's ask these questions as we read these verses. John chapter 10, beginning verse 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. Uh, some of your uh, translations, if you're looking in the Pew Bible or the NIV, it probably says, I am the gate. 
And uh, it, we can understand how you could use these words interchangeably. I, I, I'm going to use the term door this morning, mainly because uh, most of us have in our minds uh, that a gate is something that keeps things out. Uh, a gate kind of guards. And I think the, the, the gist of what Jesus is communicating here is more of what our modern concept is of a, of a door, of something that lets things, at, lets things in and out. And so, um, so I'm going to use the terminology door, know that gate is an equally good translation of that word, um, and we can understand how those words uh, relate. But Jesus is using the image here, and, uh, and just to give a little bit of a larger uh, context, because this chapter is a little confusing if you try to read it as a narrative, if you try to read it as uh, a continual uh, story that Jesus is telling. Uh, but really what Jesus is doing in this is he's painting a picture. He's, he's using metaphorical language, and it says in verse 5 that, that the people who were listening didn't understand this figure of speech, this, uh, this metaphor that Jesus was using. What Jesus was doing was he was painting a picture for us. And it's almost as if Jesus says, all right, imagine this scene. And it's a scene that would have been familiar to his, to his hearers in the first century. It's the scene of a shepherd, his flock of sheep. And they would often have these enclosements, um, a, a pretty much fencing around a certain area, a pasture where the shepherd would keep their sheep. And... and there would be uh, a single gate by which that shepherd would enter. There would be uh, underlings or, or, or hi hired hands that would come in as well and help with tending to the sheep. And we're going to look in a couple weeks at, at this beautiful picture that Jesus gives of, of the shepherd knowing his sheep and the sheep knowing the shepherd. Uh, but but Jesus, Jesus, what he does is he paints a picture of this this pasture that's enclosed. There's one gate. And what he does in this passage is he, he says, all right, first, let's look at the sheep. And he says, okay, then let's look at the gate. Okay, now let's look at the shepherd. And it's not that he's telling like this cohesive story, but he's like, enter the pasture with me and let's look at a few things. And this morning we're going to look at the gate. You see, the context that Jesus is uh, looking at here is he's really confronting what happened in John chapter 9. If you have some time this week, I, I encourage you, John chapter 9 is one of my favorite moments in John's gospel because it's almost humorous, the interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees. What happens is there's a man who is, who is blind, and Jesus, on the Sabbath, heals this man. He says, takes some mud, puts it in his eyes, says, go down to the pool of Siloam, wash your eyes, and this man, who was once a blind beggar, now sees. The Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day, they hear about this, and they aren't too thrilled about a man who, number one, healed has the power of God to heal. Who is this guy, Jesus? And number two, he did it on the Sabbath, which typically they would do no work on the Sabbath. And so who is this man to claim that kind of authority to heal on the Sabbath? And the, it's this ongoing conversation in John chapter 9 between the Pharisees and, G and the blind man and Jesus. And it's this roundabout. They even draw in the blind man's parents into the situation to get them to say, uh, basically, they're trying to figure out who is this guy, Jesus. 
And what we see at the end of John uh, chapter 9 is this miraculous moment where this blind beggar who, who has been healed by Jesus, the Pharisees are asking him, uh, you know, give glory to God and tell the truth. This man is a sinner, right? And they're talking about Jesus. They want, they want to put the blame on Jesus. And the man says to um, them, I have told you already and, would, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. They're talking about Jesus. We don't know where he comes from. And this is the blind man's response. Don't get this. Verse 30, John chapter 9. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he has opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And in this moment, this man who was once blind is proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus encounters him a few verses later. He says, he, he finds this man, he says, do you believe that, do you believe in the Son of Man, this term to refer to the Messiah? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, this is the context of of, of what we find in John chapter 10. And I wanted to go over that because what Jesus is really targeting in John chapter 10 is that there is one shepherd of the sheep of Israel, of the sheep of God's people. And that shepherd gives life. And the, the Pharisees, all throughout John chapter 9, are trying to take away this blind man's life. They're trying to toss him out. They're trying to ruin his testimony. And what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting those who come selfishly and the, the one who came selflessly. And we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks as we consider him as the good shepherd. But he wants us to understand that he came to give life and give it to the full. In your bulletin this morning, I have uh, some notes for you. For those of you who are type A personality kind of people who like to write things down and uh, remember things uh, that way. And you can follow along with me as we walk through these verses in uh, John chapter 10. But the first thing that we see that Jesus is teaching us, and when he says, I am the door, is that Jesus is the only door to God's promises. There are um, lots of doorways in life. There are lots of teachings that we hear. There's lots of uh, avenues you could go down that, that say, God will bless you if. You do this, you do that. The church history has been laden with uh, what I would say false teachers who have, 
who have proclaimed that there are pathways to God's blessing outside of Jesus. And what we see in, in John chapter 10, um, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And as we consider what it means that Jesus is the door, we see that Jesus is the only door to God's promises. We looked at a few of these promises last week as we considered that day when there will be no more sun, and there will be no more night because the Lord God will be our light. It's this picture of when there will be no more suffering, no more pain, and everlasting life is the picture. And John, all throughout his gospel, describes uh, how to have everlasting life. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in that, in that magnificent uh, little uh, conversation that they have, Jesus says that... Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And what Jesus is proclaiming in John chapter 10 is I am the door. I am the point of access to everlasting life. And so all the promises of the Old Testament, all of the story of God that has been anticipating God living with his people and life being full and redeemed from our sins, the only door to that is Jesus. And uh, during the Reformation, the Protestant reformers had this, had this phrase of in, in Christ alone, and we proclaim that in song this morning, that in Christ alone our hope is found. And so to each of these points of this passage, I, I, I have a statement in, in the notes here that in Christ alone we enter salvation for our souls. You see, it's in Christ alone that we find salvation, and that's exactly what it says in verse 9. I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The great uh, 20th century preacher Charles Spurgeon says, There is only one door. You may search the whole realm of nature, and you shall never discover another. Not by self-sufficiency, nor self-righteousness, nor priests, nor rites or ceremonies. Not anything by will of the flesh or will of the man can you obtain admission there. Could our zeal no respite know? Could our tears forever flow? There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And this is the message of John's gospel as a whole, is that in Christ alone our hope is found. In Christ alone we enter salvation for our souls. And so the door image here, as Jesus says, I am the door, is really this, this access point where you enter safety. The safety of what we deserve because of our sin. And because it says in Romans 3 that we have all sinned, fall short of the glory of God. In chapter 6 that the wages of that is death. And so this is a door. Jesus says, I am the door. We enter salvation, meaning we enter life through Christ. And that's by faith. And, and it's, it's a gift. And, and Jesus says, the, the keys are are, are yours. The door is unlocked. I have made the way. And so Jesus says, I am the door. And so as we picture this image of, of these sheep in a pasture and, and this Jesus being the gate to that, it, there's this beautiful image of Jesus 
saying, you have access. You have access to salvation. You know, entering the door of Christ is a bit like a turnstile. A few months ago in November, Mary and I were visiting uh, Chicago, and we, uh, for reminiscent sake, when we were there, we took public transit everywhere. So we wanted to ride uh, the L train, as they call it in Chicago. And so we we go and uh, we get our little uh, uh, cars. I want to call it a Charlie car, but that's Boston. We get our little ticket and we go to the turnstile and uh, we put the ticket in. And uh, so I go first and uh, I go through the turnstile and, you know, you can only do one at a time. And so you go through and, um, and uh, what we realized in that moment was this was uh, the first time that Mary had ever gone through a turnstile with a service dog. And, uh, and she didn't think about it. And so she puts her ticket in, and she goes through, and Oliver bonks right into the metal uh, machine right there at the turnstile. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the turnstile. You can't bring anyone in with you. You can't bring your self-righteousness. You can't bring your good works. You can't bring your church attendance. You can't bring your Bible reading. You can't bring your prayer life. You can only say, I'm only coming in because Jesus is my door. Jesus is the door. There's an old southern spiritual song that says, so high you can't get over it, so low you can't get under it, so wide you can't get around it. You've got to come in through the door. And that is the truth of John chapter 10, that Jesus is the gate. But Jesus is not only the door to our salvation, and I want us to, to, to recognize this this morning, is that there's, there's more to the picture here. And, and so often we, we, I think we become tourists of Jesus being the door of salvation, that we don't access the door to his provision. You see, Jesus uh, also wants us to get here that Jesus is the only door to God's provision. Jesus is the only door to God's provision. It says in the second half of verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, just what the sheep need. They need someone to lead them to a place where they can be fed, where they can have the grass that they need, the space that they need. Jesus is the only door to God's provision, and in Christ alone, we experience nourishment for our souls. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that um, God has... Uh, well, let me turn there uh, real quick. Ephesians chapter 1... Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want you to let those words sink in this morning. That if you have entered the door of Christ by faith through, through his death and resurrection, he has given you access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I think we often misuse the word blessing in the church. 
Because we often refer to God's blessing as to when things are going well in life, when we get a promotion, when the family's doing well, we're hashtag blessed. And uh, blessing, as is defined all throughout the New Testament, is the status of being in Christ. We have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And so this door not only becomes this protection from the judgment we deserve, this access to the salvation Christ has provided, but it's also the provision of God that we can go in and out of Christ to find nourishment and experience those blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. And so, and so this is where it goes from being a Christian tourist, door Taurus to being uh, Christian uh, actual followers of Jesus, because actual followers of Jesus go into this door regularly and find nourishment and experience nourishment for your souls. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I satisfy those longings that you were created for. And so, and so it's this picture of sheep coming in and out through the gate of Jesus to find nourishment that their souls need. And it says in Hebrews chapter 4, we referenced this all throughout our service this morning, that Jesus is the great high priest. He is the one who has made access to the Father. I, I want to turn there and read this for us because this is the picture of what we have in Christ. It says uh, at the end of chapter 4 in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He says in verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy, receive mercy, and find grace and to help in time of need. The, the message here, and the message of John chapter 10, is that don't just enter the door. Don't just, don't just take your picture with the door of Christ being our salvation. Access it. Let us with confidence draw near. Let us come in and go out. Let us find nourishment for our souls in Christ. How do you do that? Spend time reading his word. Spend time in the Gospel of John this week. Read through John chapter 9 and 10. And let it soak in for you that Jesus is this access point where we find God's provision that sustains us. And that is in Christ. And so finally, Jesus, uh, my third point and final point here is that Jesus is the only door to abundant life. Verse, John chapter 10, verse 10 is a, is a great one to, to memorize, to let sink into your heart and soul. It says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now this word here at the end of this, he says he didn't just come to give you life. He came that you may have life to the full. To the fullest extent of what life was meant to be lived. 
We often say of someone at the end of their life, oh, he lived a full life. What does that mean? Does it mean he had good relationships, that he traveled a lot, that he amassed amount of money? or What does it mean to have a full life? I, I think all of us are asking that question as we walk through life. What, what does it mean for me to have a full life? Is it, is it having a job that gives meaning and purpose? Is it, is it going to church? Is it all, all of these questions to sort of filter through our minds? And this is what we have to get this morning as we think about this image of Jesus being the door, is that in Christ alone, we embrace purpose for our souls. In Christ alone, we embrace the purpose that we were meant for. And so as we think about what it means to live a full life, I'd like to suggest, and I think Jesus suggests it for us, that you cannot live a full life apart from Christ. Sure, you can have glimpses of it. You have glimpses of God's blessings in all of this world, but to fully experience life as it was meant to be lived, is to embrace our purpose of being a follower of Jesus. Of feasting upon Christ. And as we look at it in the catechism, that our chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And this is what you were created for. You were created to bring glory to God, and maybe that looks like uh, doing that in the workplace and doing your job with excellence and bringing glory to God and saying, God has given me these skills, this intellect, the, this time, this energy, and I want to do it to give glory to God. Maybe it's in your family that you want to uh, raise your family well, that you want to lead your spouse well, you want to serve your spouse well. And maybe that's how you bring glory to God. But it doesn't matter, it says in, in Colossians, that whatever you do, whether word or deed, whether you're eating or you're drinking, all of these things, do it for the glory of God. And it's in Christ alone that we embrace this purpose. And so I'd like to suggest this morning that, that the only way to live a full life is to frequent this door often. Come in and go out. Find pasture for your souls. Find sustenance that you need. Feast upon the bread of life. And John says at the end of the gospel that these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, and don't miss this progression, by believing you may have life. It says in John chapter 10, and life to the full. As we think about Jesus being the door, I think that one of the takeaways that I in the larger context of all of this, is that uh, Jesus becomes this door that gives us the parameters for evaluating teaching. Evaluating uh, teach, people who come and, 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 and preach a message about God. It gives you a door. This door gives you parameters to, to evaluate my preaching. Because if ever I or someone else proclaim a message 
of of blessing, a message of sustenance, of provision, a, a message of fulfillment and purpose that is apart from Christ, you know that that person is a thief and they didn't come in through the gate. And, and, and as we read these words, it's easy to assume that Jesus is talking about Satan being the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But in the larger context, he's saying the Pharisees, those who teach self-righteousness, those who teach do good works and earn God's favor, they are a thief. They will steal, they will kill, and they will destroy. But those preachers who proclaim Christ, that he is the door, that he is the gate, you know that they came in the right way. And Jesus gives, this, gives us these parameters for evaluating any teaching that comes from God. The big idea of all of this is that Jesus is the only access point to the fullness of life that God designed us for. And he provides it through Christ, through his death and his resurrection. There's a small metal door uh, painted white on the side of a church door in, um, in South Africa. This, this door is uh, changing lives. On it are painted the words, Door of Hope. And that's exactly what it is. Uh, for years, this door on the side of this little mission building, it says Door of Hope, has been a place where people can drop off abandoned babies. Um, on average, uh, some 40 or 50 babies were being abandoned on the streets of South Africa to die of exposure or starvation each month. And that was before this mission installed this door called Door of Hope. And inside the door was a bin where people could place a baby, no questions asked. And... Uh, I was just on their website yesterday, and Door of Hope Mission, um, since 1999, has saved over 1,656 lives. It's a door that, simple thing, but it's through that door that those babies found refuge safety. People took those babies in, they fed them, they nourished them, taught them skills, how to live life, and most importantly, how to follow Jesus. Jesus proclaims in John chapter 10, I am the door of hope. It's through me that you find refuge for your helpless soul. You enter salvation, you experience provision, and you embrace your purpose. And it's in Christ alone that our hope is found. It says in Psalm 118, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. And then just this prophetic moment, the psalmist writes, the stone 
that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the gate. He's the door. He's the access point. So brothers and sisters, don't be a tourist to Jesus. Enter. Come in and go out. Find the sustenance that your souls need. And embrace the purpose that God created you for. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for coming and making a way. God, thank you for opening to us the, the path of salvation that through faith in you, we can have life and have it to the full, have that abundant life that you designed us for. And I pray that if there's any in this room who've never placed their faith in you, who've never entered that door and, and found, that, found that refuge for our souls, Lord, I pray that they would, that they would receive your forgiveness this morning that we all fall short of your glory and we are in need of, of you to pay the price for our sins and that you accomplished that at the cross and that you rose to give us resurrection life, abundant life, purposeful life. And God, we're grateful for that and I pray uh, for any who are in this room or listening online who've never trusted you that today might be the day of salvation. I pray for those of us who who have entered that door, and, and yet uh, we find ourselves starving a little bit. We find our souls uh, tired and weary, and you say, come in and go out and find pasture for your, for your soul, and I pray that we would do that. Lord, don't let us be strangers. Don't let us be tourists, but may we be family in the home of God who comes with confidence to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Lord, I pray that you would um, encourage us this morning that you are the door of hope. We're going to proclaim that to you in song. and We're grateful that you are our living hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.